Welcome to Limitless, the blind beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community, in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marsley. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marsley. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. This podcast is being released on International Women's Day. And in honor of that, our episode is a special one where we're going to do things a little bit differently. So I'm going to introduce Ginny, who will be hosting the episode today and let her explain what we're doing. Welcome back to the podcast, Ginny. Thanks, Sean. And welcome, everyone. Thanks for being here. As Sean said, this is a very special episode of the podcast, and it's being released on International Women's Day. So what we're doing today is... um, We have two guests, which I will introduce in a moment, and I will be asking them questions about their experiences and thought about their jobs as leaders within uh, Blind Beginnings. So I would like to introduce Sean, um, who many of you listeners probably already know, the host of this podcast. Welcome, Sean. And I would also like to introduce Leah Chico, who is our operational director of Blind Beginnings. So welcome you both. And I'm excited that you both are here. Thanks, Hi, Jenny. Jenny. Thank you. I'm excited yeah. too. Yeah. So Sean, um, many of our listeners probably do know you from our previous episodes, but do you want to just maybe give like a brief overview of your job, who you are, and a little bit about Blind Beginnings if you'd like? Well, I hope our listeners know me, otherwise (laughs) they should really start listening to some other episodes. (laughs) Um, And I just want to add that Ginny is also a a staff with Blind Beginnings. She's our new program coordinator. So this is a a staff episode today, which is kind of exciting. So yeah, I'm the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings. Uh, Blind Beginnings was founded in 2008, and um, I just felt that there needed to be an organization devoted to children who are blind and partially sighted and their families across BC, and kind of you know started the organization. It was like a passion project that I didn't really know how to necessarily lead a nonprofit, but Um, just thought it was a really important cause and one step at a time tried to build this organization. So I don't think I need to say too much more than that at this point. (laughs) No, that's wonderful. And Leah, so many of our listeners probably don't know who you are. Um, So could you maybe take just some time and introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who who you are, how you got into the nonprofit world and joined Blind Beginnings and maybe a bit about your role. Sure, yes. Well, I just want to start by saying that um, your listeners probably don't know me because I am very behind the scenes at Blind Beginnings. 
um, and that this is my first time on the Limitless podcast or any other podcast for that matter. I have to say, Sean, that I eagerly look forward to listening to the podcast each week. It's been a tremendous resource for me for learning about the blind and partially sighted community. And I would like to add that I myself am sighted. I'm the director of operations with Blind Beginnings, and I've been here for, oh, wow, almost three years. It'll be three years in May. And in this role, I work with Sean to lead the organization and I have a wide range of responsibilities in this role, everything from HR and employee engagement to financial management, to fund development, to all things administrative uh, from systems, infrastructure, policy, procedures. That's a little bit about, about what I do with Blind Beginnings. And my other important job is that I am a mom to two daughters the youngest of which is 19 and living at home. And my older daughter has moved out and is in medical school. I've been in the not-for-profit sector for about 13 years now. And I started off my career very, very, very long ago in the corporate world. Um, I worked for a large international construction company for almost 10 years, where I was uh, only one of two women working with about 30 men. And I worked my way up in that corporation. And when I left, I was the assistant to the general manager. I made the decision to leave as I realized that I was very unhappy. And it was a pretty negative work environment. And then I was self-employed for a year. And then I joined a precious metals company as a credit and administration manager, uh, still in the for-profit sector. And I was there for about five years. I started full-time. I took a year off to have my younger daughter, and I made the decision to return to work on a more part-time basis then, working three days a week, one week, and then four days a week the next week, and that I found was a great balance. And during all that time, I'd been a very active volunteer with the Burnaby School District. I was on the PAC executive for very many years. Um, I was ahead of a variety of committees. I participated at the district PAC level, and was uh, involved in a lot of initiatives, everything from you know, installing a new playground to different policy and such. Anyway, the volunteering gave me a great sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. And, and I've always believed in supporting children and youth. And so when my job with the Precious Metals Company came to an end, I took a year off and I, I focused on being a mom. And I also really paused and gave some thought to where I would, you know, where I would want to work next. I didn't also want to work full-time again until my younger daughter was a bit older. So I decided to see a career coach. And through all that, it, we identified what motivated me and where I saw myself long-term. And the coach suggested I started looking into not-for-profit positions. And when I did, I found a part-time job posting for Art Starts in Schools. And I knew of Art Starts from the volunteering I did. I was with Art Starts for 10 years. And after a few years, I ended up working full-time again. There, I was the Director of Finance and Administration. And I spent a year as the Interim Executive Director. And then when my position there ended, I knew I still wanted to work for an organization that supported children and youth. And that brought me to Blind Beginnings. 
that was probably a very long introduction, Ginny, but <laughs> no, that's how I came to be at Blind Beginnings. No, th th that was that was great, Leah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Can I um, just add yeah. something? Because I feel like it's important that, you know, at the time when, when Blind Beginnings decided that we needed a director of operations, I was feeling pretty overwhelmed as the executive director. And a lot of the things that Leah described in her job are the things that I'm not excited about doing. <laughs> and so it was sort of this, let's take all the things off my plate that I don't feel are my strength or my interest and create a position so that we can find somebody to help in this co-leadership model. So I think Leah has been a fabulous addition to the team and, and leading the organization with her help has been phenomenal for me. So, so incredible and allowed me to focus on program development and counseling and, you know, sort of the raising awareness about the capabilities of people who are blind, this podcast, those kinds of things that I am excited to be doing. So I think it's important for us to, to mention that. <clears throat> so before we move into asking guys some questions, I'm just going to take a minute here and read out some stats that we found. Women account for 47.7% of the global workforce, but um, within the nonprofit sector, about 70 to 80% of the people working there are women. So why do you guys think that this is the case? Well, I mean, I have nothing to compare it to because I feel like my entire work experience has been in nonprofit. Uh, a lot of volunteer experience on boards and working for different nonprofit organizations as, as early as like summer jobs through university. Um, but Leah, I'm curious because you've had an experience in the corporate world as well. And you mentioned that it was predominantly male where you were working. So why do you think so many women are attracted to the nonprofit world? Well, you know, I, I read something really recently in Forbes and it was all about, um, it was an article all about International Women's Day. And one thing that they quoted really resonated with me and is one of the reasons that I, I feel that um, women are more predominantly represented in the nonprofit sector. And that's because in Forbes, what they say is that typically men fight for power and women fight for purpose. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, that really, really resonated with me. It was really challenging for me to find a part-time role in the corporate sector that allowed for me to feel like I was making a difference and that allowed some work-life balance. And again, as I felt that after I had my second daughter, I was in a position where thankfully I was able to financially afford working part-time. And I really wanted to make that decision to re-enter the workforce on a more of a part-time basis. And I think what some not-for-profits do is they they can sometimes be more flexible with what they offer than a corporate environment can. Um, they're not as tied to 
salary bandwidths and job descriptions and things like that. And so they're able to design roles um, that might be at a, at a more senior level with the flexibility of working part-time. So you did mention that there is, seems to be more flexibility within the nonprofit sector. And I'm wondering what that looks like um, for, for both of you in terms of your, your own roles at Blind Beginnings. Well, I can start. Um, I mean, I was, you know, already running Blind Beginnings when mm -hmm. I had my son. And so maternity leave was interesting. <laughs> um, and I was never fully gone, but I think coming back with a baby and some, you know, some days I would bring my son into the office with me when he was a baby. Um, I would bring him to programs. I still bring him to programs, or at least I did before COVID. Um, my family's been able to come to camp with me. Um, because it's, and that's not specifically because it's a nonprofit. I think it's because it's an organization that supports families. So I think there's a benefit in our members seeing my family and seeing me in the role of mother and, and all of that. Uh, I definitely feel, I mean, it helps when you are the boss, so to speak, I can flex my hours. Um, you know, if I need to leave early for my for something for my son, I just work, I start earlier or work a little later that night or, or whatever. So there's certainly a lot of flexibility in time. I feel like I do not work a regular work week. Um, I mean, that can be, that can have its downside as well, because I don't really ever know when I'm not working. It's kind of, but that's also, again, sort of the executive director role to sort of be available when you need to be but I certainly appreciate the flexibility. And Leah, I know that you also said you touched on your role as a mother as well, and that this also is kind of what drew you to, to the nonprofit as well. So I'm interested to hear about your thoughts on how it's flexible in other ways for you as well. Right, it's always a balance and it's always a juggling act. And there's both, in my professional work environment and in my personal environment, there are a lot of balls in the air, a lot of things to juggle. I know that one of the things that drew me to art starts in schools at the time and having children who were younger at the time was that we worked around the school schedule. So it was fine for me to take time off at spring break when the girls were off, summer when the girls were off, Christmas when the girls were off. And I also felt there's, there is, and not all not-for-profit organizations, but many not-for-profit organizations that are run by women that work with schools or work with families do sort of have a better understanding of what it takes to balance both worlds and are more accommodating. Even just like having your cell phone on you in a right. meeting because the school could call or the daycare could call or the babysitter could call. Like, I feel like that's, I don't, I don't feel, you know, I think people are understanding of that. Completely. I know I've done it myself a couple of times, haven't I, Sean? Mm -hmm. just, you know, apologize. I'm sorry. I have this personal thing going on with 
with my daughter and I'm going to have to have my cell phone on during the meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can, I can tell you, I would have never been comfortable doing that in one of my other roles in the more corporate setting. It almost felt like that was a part of me that I, I had to hide Mm. or I had to minimize or make not as important. Whereas I feel that in both of my roles in the not-for-profit sector, both at Art Starts and now at Blind Beginnings, it is better understood. Yeah. I, even something like, um, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna be leaving early because it's my kid's Christmas concert this afternoon or something. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I feel like there's just understanding that that's an important event that a mom would want to be at. And people, like, I, I would imagine though, in a corporate setting, that might not be applauded. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that might be a little bit more challenging. (laughs) You know, and again, I kind of went from two different, radically different worlds because it is at a international construction company, (laughs) one of only two women to, you know, now at Blind Beginnings, we often ask Rob, who works with us, what's it like to be working for a not-for-profit and be surrounded by women all the time. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of on a complete 360. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that there is a lot of flexibility and so much understanding um, within the nonprofit sector, especially as I'm working for Blood Beginnings and the both of you. And I definitely, um, though I'm definitely not um, senior position um, of sorts, like I, I definitely coming into the organization as someone who, has maybe like a tainted view of the workforce um, can see too that there is definitely a lot of understanding um, as someone who is a student. So I'd say definitely agree with with all of that. But all of that being said, I want to now ask in the opposite end, what challenges you in this field and what um, types of things burn you out? (laughs) (laughs) well it's been a I mean you're asking us coming out of two years of COVID yeah I was gonna say pandemics don't help (laughs) pandemic aside (laughs) well I mean I think we don't have enough people to do the amount of work that needs to be done Um, and I think that's pretty common in the nonprofit sector that your role is more than just sort of the typical job description, you know, that, that bullet point of may include other duties or other duties as needed can be quite big (laughs) (laughs) and people need to sort of help out, you know, jump in to help when it, even if it's not something that's kind of part of their job a lot of the time. So there's always lots to do. Uh, There's really no time that people often ask me like, so is there a time when things slow down <laughs> and there just isn't there? Re- I mean, Christmas, we, we do close between Christmas and new year's and we don't run programs at Christmas because families are generally, you know, with their families doing holiday things, but uh, that's the, probably the quietest time of the year. So there's always funding applications due. There's always um, programs happening ongoing. There's, you know, there's a podcast to put out every week. There's, presentations and hiring and HR things. And like, there's just always things. Yeah. I I really want to echo what Sean said. And that actually is one of the things that 
I do love about working in the not-for-profit sector. No two days are the same. Mm -hmm. And I feel that I can really utilize my the breadth of my skill set in this organization and in this sector. I mean, some days I've, I've joked about it, but I mean, I've had really some days where I've been working on a budget one hour. I've been, you know, maybe getting lunch for a staff lunch and learn the next hour. After that, reviewing resumes for potential candidates. And then I recall in a previous role that I had, we would do a conference. And so my evening responsibility was being the bartender. So it's really varied. And that, I mean, that's the great part about working in the not-for-profit world. The flip side to that is it can also be the most difficult part because you are juggling a lot of different things. And there are days where everything is a priority. So really honing into what are the, you know, kind of the top three things that I absolutely have to get done today and being okay with letting those other things slip for a, a day or two or three. Yeah. And I think if you are the type of person that likes to see a task come to its end, um, <laughs> I mean, sometimes I guess that some of the things we do maybe do have an end to a project or something, but for the most part, like there's always a list of things and I never, I never see the end of it because things are constantly being added while you're working away at all the things that you need to do. So I, I also really love variety. I think I would be bored in a job that I just sort of did the same thing day after day after day. Um, so it's, it, it keeps things interesting. And if you kind of get bored working on one thing, you can put it aside and you've got like 13 other things you can choose <laughs> to work on. So, yeah. And, and may I add something else to this that I think is super important. And one of the reasons I love working in the not-for-profit sector, and this isn't, I mean, this isn't across the board. This is my experience. We genuinely are working with people who want to be there. They're engaged, mm -hmm. they're passionate, they want to be there, they care about the success of, of the organization or of the population you serve. And that's a really significant difference, I feel, in your working environment. Wow, thank you for that. I love how you guys uh, took that question and definitely put some positives in there too. Seems like every challenge definitely still has a positive. Um, but now that I've asked you those two questions, um, Sort of similar, but maybe we'll get slightly different answer. Have you personally achieved what you have wanted um, working within a nonprofit? And how has it been rewarding for you? Definitely rewarding. <laughs> um, I've been able to, you know, have this idea of what I hoped we could do uh, to help families with kids that are blind and, and see that happen. So like, it doesn't really get any better than that. I feel like looking back over the last 14 years now, uh, well, I guess we're just starting our, no, yeah, 14. Um, there's a lot of families that I've seen a lot of kids growing up and, and gaining confidence and parents shifting their perceptions of blindness. So, I mean, that's incredibly rewarding. I'll, I think also just looking at, you know, when I started, it was me in my apartment by myself uh, with no money. 
and, and where we are today with, you know, hopefully soon to be full-time five full-time staff and, and just like, yeah, we're like a real grown-up organization. And, and so to see the progress, that's really rewarding as well. And that it's, it's not just like some idea I had and some little, you know, mm-hmm. once a month program, like we're a full full-on organization raising a significant amount of money and helping a significant amount of people. So that's like, I don't even know if I really imagined that it would be this. Like, I, I don't, I didn't really have a vision in my head of what the end goal was exactly. I just knew that I wanted to build something. So I'm very happy. Yeah. Sean coming in, um, three years ago, even I, am in awe of the tremendous growth of the organization from 2008 until 2022 to go from, you know, one staff member, well, volunteer, because you weren't being paid Mm -hmm. and a budget of, I think $5,000 was the very first grant you received to now an organization of as you say, hopefully again soon, five full-time staff and a budget of half a million dollars in 14 years is tremendous growth. Um, You've built quite an amazing organization. And I think to answer your question, Ginny, about the rewards of working for Blind Beginnings, it's, it's a little bit harder for me to connect sometimes because I'm so behind the scenes I mean, big picture in general, I've always believed that it's really important to support children and youth. They are the future. They're the best chance society has. So it is rewarding for me knowing that I work for an organization that is making a difference in the lives of children and youth. And now in the lives of children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, I do look for those times where I can connect those dots, the dots between the work that I'm doing behind the scenes and what Sean brings forward from the programs. So, you know, at our staff meetings, we'll talk about some successes from the week, some challenges from the week, mission moments from the week. And those are the moments that I feel really the most connected to what we do. When Sean brings forth um, a story that really demonstrates the value of the program or the work we're doing or the impact on a young person or their parent. I find those moments to be really, really rewarding. And I have to say that it is those moments that keep you going when it's your fourth meeting at night this week, or there's a grant deadline or there's a whatever, right? It's, it's sort of like, right. Yes, this is, <laughs> this is why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. And if I yeah. might just add, it's been a little bit more challenging for me to, to kind of connect with the, the community that we serve, because as I mentioned, I joined in May of 2019 and by March of 2020. So not even a year later, we were fully remote. So I didn't, I haven't really had the opportunity to kind of connect personally uh, or sort of one-on-one or in person with, with our community. So I am definitely looking forward to the ability to do more of that. 
Um, okay, I'm going to switch into asking a couple questions about being women leaders. Do you think that there are benefits and or deficits to being a woman leader? I do think it's hard for women. I think women leaders walk a very fine line because sometimes they can be told that they're too bossy or alternately they can be labeled as too timid, too emotional, too soft. So it's finding that balance. I think that piece can be very difficult being a female leader. I also think that some some things that make us strong leaders can also be challenging and those are those are things around empathy and understanding people's personal needs and just maybe connecting more with your employees that there's definite benefits to that but it it can it can be emotionally i think a little bit more challenging to be a female leader yeah i think I feel like I'm a natural leader in, in the inspire the team and (laughs) promote the cause and speak on behalf of, and those kinds of things and work hard. But in terms of like being a boss, I don't like it. I feel like it's kind of lonely and I do have a lot of empathy and I want to be everyone's friend and I don't want to be in a position of saying no to a request for something that I can see is really important or, or just any of those things. So I have found that really difficult or even just giving feedback to an employee about their performance when it hasn't maybe measured up is like, Oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. And so I think I definitely fall into the soft woman in that regard, but then I don't think of myself as soft normally. So it's a weird, (laughs) (laughs) it's a weird thing. Well, Sean, you also have the, the added, I don't know, benefit or deficit. I don't know which it is of being a (laughs) clinical counselor. Right. So you probably have a lot of other things going around in in the background when you're thinking of these things and its impact on people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, May I throw out another stat that I found really interesting? Yeah, Yeah. of course. And that is, this was again in that Forbes article I was reading, and it said that 38% of people prefer to work for a female boss compared to 26% of people Mm. who prefer to work for a man. And but 35% said they had no preference. So that tells you that more people prefer to work for a female boss. And I think it's because there is, again, I'm generalizing, not all female leaders are the same, but typically there can be more empathy. There can be more um, skills around better organizational skills, better at multitasking, better at maybe understanding work-life balance or personal needs. And I also think that sometimes women are more open to hearing the opinions of others than than male leaders can be. Mm. Mm. Sean, you kind of said something about like the differences between a leader and a boss. Do mm. we think there's a difference there between a leader and a boss? Well, it's interesting because like, I'm not sure exactly, but I know when I started Blind Beginnings, I never imagined, I actually never imagined I would have a staff. I just (laughs) had this cause that 
I thought was important. And I had this goal and it was, I was just working towards it. And along the way, many people helped bring that forward, you know, board members and volunteers. And for a couple of years, that's, that's how things went. And then, and then when we got to the point where we were actually hiring, you know, for a while there, it was just one other staff and me. And I never really thought of myself necessarily as a boss, but found myself in that role. Like, cause I was, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have any training in how to do that or be that. And so I guess, I don't know, like, I don't, I, it seemed like one came with the other and if I could have, if I could be the leader without being a boss, that, it, that would be my dream. Like, I don't want to be the boss. I just, <laughs> I'm happy to lead, but someone else can be the boss. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Leah? I'm glad Sean went first because it gave me a, a pause to think about this. And I, I remember I have a little black book from my time as the interim ED and I have a little quote in the very front of that book, and it says, great managers know what they need from others. Great leaders know what others need from them. I love and, that. Yeah, I really, really like that. And it's really about leaders recognizing, I think, and understanding what motivates their team, what people's unique skill sets are. I think that a really good leader can adapt the way they're leading based on the people that they are leading because different people need different things from their leaders. And I think that that's the difference between a leader and a boss because a boss, I think, goes in and says, this is how we do it and let me know when it's done. And a leader more goes in and says, this is what we need done. How can I support you to make it happen? I like that. I especially like that quote. Uh, Sean, um, because you are... Um a disabled woman, I want to know that if this intersectionality poses its own challenge for yourself as when you're in your leadership role. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if I was applying to be the executive director to a nonprofit that had nothing to do with disability, I would, the fact that I have a disability would probably hurt my chances potentially of getting that role. Um, of course, at Blind Beginnings, well, <laughs> I wasn't hired. <laughs> so it was kind of a non-issue, but I think in this situation, it's a bit, it's an asset. I did feel, especially in the beginning, I'm going to say like the first five years, maybe, maybe even more than that. Um, because I grew up in British Columbia as a child, a teen with a visual impairment, some of the professionals that I now work with were, were like, saw, like knew me as a kid and mm. knew me as a teenager and saw me growing up. And so when I started blind beginnings, I, I felt a little bit like I wasn't taken seriously. Like, Oh, isn't that, isn't that nice that Sean started a nonprofit? Good for her. <laughs> uh, and now being that we've been here as long as we have, and, and we're, we're not going away. I think people, I have some credibility now and I, I, I don't so much feel that, but I definitely did for a while with, with some of those individuals who had known me before. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, working in the field of working with children who are blind, there aren't that many blind professionals. 
So it's, I'm, I am a minority. I'm often connecting with sighted people who, you know, are passionate about working with blind children and that's fantastic, but there, there aren't very many of us who are blind, who are in this field. So that, that is different. And I think it also plays into working with parents. You know, sometimes I feel even as a counselor that a parent might have a challenge saying to me, I'm really sad that my child's blind because maybe they're worried about offending me because I'm blind. So there's sort of, it plays in there as well. So definitely uh, a factor. I mean, in terms of like leading a team, um, I haven't really felt it. Well, certainly at blind beginnings, it doesn't feel like a barrier. I think, I think I'm often looked to as please explain this to us from the blind perspective or, you know, definitely seen as an expert in that area, which I appreciate. I don't feel that there's a lack of respect from my, anybody that works at blind beginnings. Like there's no like talking down to because I'm blind or any patronizing or anything like that. So. Well, I'm glad glad because someone who, you know, who is also a woman and who is blind, um, and also coming in again to, to blind beginnings, I definitely feel that safety and security there. Um, but I too always wondered this, um, being part of um, these two minority groups, how that that might impact me if mm-hmm. I tried to apply for a job somewhere else um, and stuff like that. So thank you. I mean, now that I have 14 years experience leading a nonprofit, I think I could put my resume in against some sighted folks and, you know, hopefully (laughs) I I think the organization has, because we've done as well as we have brings me that credibility. Right. So when you can say that your organization got to a certain revenue level or size or whatever, then, you know, I could probably get an interview, I think, but I'm not, I'm not interested. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. You've got a few things to put on your resume. (laughs) Speaking of all that work that, um, Sean, you have to put on your resume and all that work that you do, Leah, let's talk a little bit about mom guilt. And I know that we've touched on this in the beginning. So how does this, um, impact you? Does this, frustrate you um when people ask this of you because you are a woman um specifically about work-life balance and how do you show yourself um self-care um being you know working during the days maybe you know being with your family in the evening i i definitely have mom guilt a lot i i feel very i think being yeah being in my position at work and being a mom and because blind beginnings, I often say blind beginnings was my baby before I had a baby. So I love them both. And, and I often feel torn. So I do feel like I'm not, I'm not available for my kid as much as I would like to be. And some days if he's sick or something, I feel like I can't be available to blind beginnings as much as I'd like to be. So there's kind of, it's a trade-off and, but I also know that I was not meant to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, I need more in my life. I need to feel like I'm contributing more and not that being a mom isn't contributing. It absolutely is. And that's probably the most important job I'll ever have, but I need more than that. And 
I'm, I hope that I'm just teaching my son that, you know, I don't know that being a woman doesn't, doesn't like mean that you can't have a job and have a career and pursue goals and all of those things. Cause I don't think it should matter what your gender is. If you want, if you have career ambitions, you should go for them. So, but yeah, it is a balance. Um, not, not fantastic at the self care work-life balance thing. So it's a work in progress for me. I exercise regularly and that's a stress relief for me. Um, I try to actually schedule in fun in my week. Um, try to make time for some kind of social interaction with friends or family and, um, yeah, I don't know. And family time just with my son and my husband is important too. So. Well, now that my daughters are older, I'm definitely feeling less of the mom guilt. It's, it is a big relief. Um, I don't have to worry about making time for parent teacher interviews and Christmas concerts. And, um, you know, the times that school's out when I have to work and what my daughters are going to do during that time. I really struggled with that when my daughters were younger. And I, I feel that that's probably one of the reasons why I made the decision to work part-time for a period of time while my younger daughter was younger. I worked full-time with my older daughter from the time she was six months old because, well, I'm probably aging myself, but at that time, um, maternity leave was just six months. And that was really difficult. And I experienced a lot of, of guilt and sadness and a lot of other pieces actually around going back to work full-time when my daughter was six months old. So it's something I've always worked through and tried to balance, but it's also been a part of forming my, my career decisions as well to be able to better balance things and feel that I'm, I'm doing a, a good job as a mom and I'm doing a good job as a, as a leader. Um, and the question around self-care, like Sean, I schedule it. So today's a good example. I know it's gonna be a really, really long work day. So I made sure to take a break for two hours to go for a walk, go down to the lake, have some lunch and it's something I try to schedule every single day. I schedule in some type of physical activity. Um, that's self-care for me, as well as connecting with friends. I find that that's, that's a way that I kind of decompress and just share feelings and thoughts. And I think those are my two biggest ways. I, I do strive to be a little bit more like Sean, and I've mentioned this to her, and I want to start scheduling something fun in my week um but I'm not quite there yet but it's a goal do you think attitudes have shifted over time about women in the workplace I sure hope so <laughs> <laughs> I I I feel like I mean I guess it depends of when we're comparing but absolutely like just watching tv shows from Mm -hmm. the, you know, the sixties or the seventies, like definitely, but I don't, I, I feel like I can't even make a fair comparison because I have worked in nonprofit. So there's always been a mm -hmm. lot of women around me. 
What do you think, Leah, from your corporate days to now? Well, I, I'm actually going to kind of answer the question from through the lens of now having older daughters. Mm, and yeah. I feel that there's definitely a shift. I've seen it in them. I've heard it in them, the conversations with them and their friends, their aspirations. I know that, you know, with my generation of friends, there was still a lot of, well, there was less sharing of responsibilities between parents. Um, there was more onus put on, on moms to be the primary caregiver. Quite often, things deferred to the male's employment or role or responsibilities. Whereas I feel that the generation that's up and coming, I, I do think there's more consideration that both in, in a female and male relationship, both people have the right to the same career aspirations and the same family aspirations. And that this generation that's coming up now is going to do a much better job of balancing it. Yeah, I think I feel that in our family, my husband definitely helps out, like we're equally parenting um, through the pandemic. He was more parenting than I was, and I was working more, but um, even just in our division of labor at home, he does all of the cooking, pretty much all of the cooking. And I do, well, most of the cleaning and all of the laundry and, you know, sort of that. So we we've divided things in a way that I think is fair. Cause I don't want to cook and he does the grocery shopping as well. So that's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we're sharing those duties, but like when I grew up, my mom did that. My parents were so traditional. My mom basically did everything in the house and my dad did the yard, but they both worked. So you know, that was kind of, I mean, my dad, I think my mom worked a bit less than my dad four days a week versus five, but still that was a lot. So she had the one day yeah. off in the middle of the week to do all the grocery shopping <laughs> and all the errands and stuff. So yeah, I had that same experience with, with my, with my parents. Um, my mom worked outside of the home, but not as much as my dad did, um, but was a hundred percent responsible for anything to do with us and anything to do with the inside of the house where my dad was responsible for fixing things, the cars, the house, mm -hmm. the roof. It was very, very divided. Yeah. As a child um, who's, who's looking at her parents, I definitely see that my parents' generation is definitely more traditional. And I don't know, you know, when I'm older, I don't know if I want to have such specific gender roles. So th that's interesting to hear uh, from both of you. And do you, either of you have any female um, role models or anyone that you looked up to that um, kind of inspired you along your path? So, yes, I do. Um... So her name's Sharon DeSanto, and she was one of the founding board members of Blind Beginnings. Uh, she knew me as a as a teenager. Um, she worked for CNIB, and she was like a child and youth counselor type person in in my life at that point. I don't really remember her from when I was a teenager, but uh, when I came back from working at the School for the Blind. I met with her because she at the time was working as um, 
in children's services at CNIB, kind of developing a program. And I, I knew I wanted to work with kids that were blind and I met with her and she told me that she thought I should start my own thing, my own business, my own something rather than work for CNIB. And, and I was kind of stunned by that. I was like, no, no, I just want to work for CNIB. Like that's, <laughs> I basically want to work for you. Can you just hire me? So anyways, eventually I did um, do some work there and, but realized that I did want to start my own thing. So Sharon inspired me. She believed in me, but the, the reason that I really look up to her is she's so good at boundaries. Like, she knows exactly what she's able to do. She raised four kids while working full-time. I think she separated from her husband. So like single mom raising four kids and working. Um, she had to have clear boundaries, but she's also like, I've never heard her say a negative word to anybody. So she has this way of being able to say no in a way that you still love her. And mm -hmm. I want to aspire to be able to do that. <laughs> Wow. And that is the thing that, that I just love about her. And I don't, I don't know how she does it. And I know that in, in, I don't feel badly when she says she can't do something that I ask her to do. <laughs> so she's done it so gracefully, but also firmly. And I, I think that's so admirable. Leah, do you have anyone, um, female role model that you looked up to? I do have some very strong female influences in my life. And I feel that working in the not-for-profit sector for the past 13 years, I have had the, the pleasure, the honor of working with some really, really strong women leaders. From an ED I once worked with that um, really helped realize and value the importance of learning and growth to a really strong female board chair who exemplified how to be a good leader and how to be a good coach. And this is this is not professionally but my my greek grandmother really was an incredibly strong woman she was widowed at 20 um, with two kids during the war and literally had nothing and built so much for herself from a home to financial security to a family and when I say she started with nothing, she really did start with nothing. She um, was pretty destitute and like couldn't even afford shoes for, for her kids um, and would scrape together what she could to, to sell bread to make money. And so that's uh, that, that, I guess, rags to riches story, although it wasn't really riches, it was just enough has always really resonated with me and I've always felt a lot of a lot of respect for what one strong woman can actually do. Okay, uh, before we wrap up, I just have one last question for you both and I want to know what advice you both have um, now that you both have been in this co-leadership role for a long time as someone who is new, um, not only entering Blind Beginnings, but is going to venture out and for um, maybe other uh, people who are listening as well. Ginny, I was hoping you'd ask that question because I think I'd like to maybe share some advice that I shared with my daughters and a quote, and I'll just say they hate the quote. 
<laughs> so many times, but it's, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. And I feel that if you aim, aim for the top, aim for your ideal, aim for the best. And if you fall a little short from that, it's okay. You're going to still fall a heck of a lot higher than if you'd aimed for, well, something mediocre. Yeah, that's great. I, I would totally agree. I think find something that you're passionate about. I believe that people, especially when you're blind, people will tell you what you can do, you know, well, you could do this or you could do that because you don't really need to see for this or that. And I think that you need to do what you love, what you're interested in, what gets you excited. And even if there are challenges along the way, you will figure them out because you're so motivated to, if you choose something based purely on what you physically think you'll be able to do, you're, you're not going to be as motivated to problem solve. You might choose the more challenging path, but it's also more rewarding. And I love that quote, Leah. Um, but I think too, that that really ties well into the blind beginnings, um, no limits philosophy. Okay, well, I just want to thank you both so much for letting me ask you all these questions. Um, you both are definitely great leaders that I really enjoy working with. Um, it's definitely a pleasure. Thank you once again, both of you. Well, thank you, Ginny. And we should add that we are currently hiring. So if anybody wants to join our team, uh, well, Leah, you're the HR person. What's what's the title? You don't have to be female. I just want to say that. <laughs> we are currently hiring for a program and administration manager. So there is a posting on our website. Yeah, if you want to work with a great, passionate, excited, motivated group of people with uh, some strong women in leadership roles, I think it's a great place to work. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast with a friend, like, subscribe, leave us a rating, and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs>